It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Halibut, guess how good is this going to be? It's going to be very good today. Gavin Casey, sports journalist uh, at the 42 in Ireland to look at Ireland and the All Blacks at Rugby World Cup, giving us the Irish view of things. Uh, as I mentioned to Izzy and Kempe, all going well. We'll catch up with the great John Kipper Gallagher, 1987 Rugby World Cup winner at this stage tomorrow. Uh, so Cavalcade of Stars coming thick and fast. Uh, we'll have another multi um I know Louis put my name at the front of it, McCarty and Louis Herman Watt, but um, we all know the way I'm going, Louis. Um, do the people a favour. Give the people what they want. You and Brian might need to, uh, to take care of that. <laughs> We're going to talk uh, the Everest. Uh, Cameron Roger is going to join us after 10 o'clock. What a massive, massive event that is. Uh, the Everest, uh, Louis will uh, dig deep into that. We will also head to France, catch up with Andrew Gordy, News Hub newsman, is now on the ground in France. Uh, we'll find out the vibe in Paris in particular. Well, after 11 o'clock, we head out onto the water. Uh, we will talk sail, GP. Uh, crazy end to the race in uh, Chicago, wasn't it? Some major issues uh, for the New Zealand uh, team. They've lost their uh, their wing, the 29-metre wing. We'll catch up with uh, Liv Mackay. Uh, to find out uh, the very latest, how they're preparing for the next event at the quite glorious Cardine. That is all still to come on the show, including your calls on 0800 150 or start texting us right now if you so please on the Temper and Bedpost text machine 8833. Let's rip into it at five minutes after nine. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Sorry, Jerry. Uh, Daniel of the Dais again. Uh, it seems to me it's quite trendy to be down on rugby, to, to bag rugby in this part of the world. And you know what? I kind of get it. I see that, I hear that. And I know why so many of you do feel like that. However, however, I think if we are honest with ourselves, we do to, need to acknowledge this Rugby World Cup has been quite a hit with a very important stakeholder in the game. The fans. The crowds in France have been brilliant. Large and loud just what you want. Just compare it to the sad sights in India at the Cricket World Cup. At times those games look soulless. Not in France. Passion is palpable. And once this tournament is over, World Rugby will no doubt trumpet the crowd numbers, the total audience figures from around the globe. However, once this World Cup is over, I'm not at all interested in World Rugby spin. I want to see some action. They must finally get their act together in sorting out a true global calendar for the betterment of the sport. The fact that this sport has a compelling club competitions around the world weaved in with rich international rugby does give it a great point of difference to many other sports and that needs to be nurtured because the current model does not help all nations all of the time. And that is the key, all of the time. We need to use these years between World Cups, not the World Cup, for a way to develop teams. And that must be addressed as a matter of urgency, in my opinion. To build a more competitive international landscape. And as all the teams who failed to make the quarterfinals make their way home, let's look at this tournament as an illustration. In the 40 group games played, 
12 matches had a winning margin more than 40 points. That's 30% of all group games. That is a lot of one-sided non-contests, and that is up on four years ago. In some ways, I am willing to give World Rugby a bit of a pass because the last four years has been so difficult with COVID impacting on so many levels. But those excuses aren't going to wash with me in the next era. So World Rugby, I look to you to show some true leadership and look to your main players as I directly talk to rugby championship nations and six nation countries to also take a more holistic view rather than making sure the grass is looking immaculate in your own patch at the expense of others. We only need to look at Fiji as a prime example of what can be achieved. Four years ago, Fiji looked lost. They lost their opening game to Uruguay. They lost three out of four games at Rugby World Cup 2019 and finished well out of the quarterfinal hunt. Now, four years on, with the Drua and Super Rugby providing the tools to sharpen their talent, they have made it back to the quarterfinals for the first time in 16 years. And objectively, objectively, every single one of Fiji's games played at this tournament has been utterly gripping as far as entertainment. Come fight me on that. If you can't see the benefit of the flying Fijians and what they bring to world rugby, then there might be no help for you. Nine minutes after nine o'clock. Let's talk Rugby World Cup 2023. Passion has been palpable inside the stands, especially when the Irish have been on show. They have been magnificent tourists. They always are. And why not sing when you are winning? Because their side's doing a hell of a lot of winning. 17 straight test match victories, and they head into a Rugby World Cup quarterfinal uh, with helium never seen before in Irish rugby history. And we are delighted to get the Irish view of this huge game. One, I'm just full of so much excitement for now. Two sides who play the game so enterprisingly and can be so entertaining. We are delighted to welcome in uh, Gavin Casey, who joins us. He is a fine rugby mind uh, sports journalist uh, for the 42 in Ireland. Gavin, thanks so much for dropping by and staying up late and speaking to us in little old New Zealand. Daniel, what a pleasure. I've been expecting your call to some degree. I was really excited, actually, when Louis, the producer, got in touch. I love talking to you guys when... Ireland and the All Blacks are on a collision course and look, this time around it's as big as it gets, right? It's a little bit different to four years ago where Ireland had probably a year prior to that World Cup in Japan established themselves as up there with you guys as one of the, one of the two best teams in the world but really had nosedive when it came to that quarterfinal. This time around it feels like these are two sides that are hitting their stripes but really entering their primes, I think, as collectives. I know you guys will have a change of coaching and all of that after this tournament, but it seems like you were in a pretty good place, dare I say, coming in under the radar a little bit. At least that would be the uh, external perception of these All Blacks. And as you say, Ireland are on a a pretty good run of form that made them difficult to ignore. So it all comes down to Paris. I can't wait. Yeah, and and it's different to four years ago, isn't it? We we, we do know Ireland had beaten New Zealand twice leading up to the 2019 World Cup. 
New Zealand swept a side island in the quarterfinals, big margin. But but there were worrying sides, signs during the group phase from what I remember of Ireland's performance uh, four years ago. It, it looked like they weren't at their best compared to previous years. That's not the case this time around in 2023. And, and I think the nature of that performance against Scotland last time out is just a true example, is it not? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I would say that Joe Schmidt-led Ireland team had actually hit its absolute pinnacle, hit its full capacity as a group of players in that 2018 test when Ireland beat New Zealand and Dublin. And listen, it's no secret that those games do tend to mean a little bit more to Ireland and to Irish fans, particularly when they're up in our neck of the woods. Also, the Summer Series last year had a, a little bit of history to it. But again, from an Irish perspective, and probably the amount of stock, uh, the amount of stock we put in those games it's a bit inflated, and ultimately, when it came to the business end of the World Cup, Ireland were nowhere near the team they had been a year prior, and you guys sorted us out and taught us a lesson in the quarterfinal, as has been the case so often in the past. I do think this time around, you're absolutely spot on. This Ireland team under Andy Farrell has just been on uh, an incrementally upward curve for the last two, two and a half years. There's a, a time during Farrell's tenure, early doors, where their attack seemed to be a little bit dysfunctional. Mike Cass, the attack coach, was coming under pressure. But just slowly but surely, they built their way into form and really added layers to what is a multi-phase, multi-layered attack. And is quite an aesthetically pleasing attack at that. So that's why these two teams gel so brilliantly, at least um, in terms of the spectacle on a Saturday night. It promises to be a really exciting game of rugby. And absolutely, I do think Ireland are a team in form. I think they have established themselves among the top three or four teams in the world now without any argument. And it's the question for us is, has the world number one mantle been something of a fallacy or is it actually deserved? You can say on current form it might be deserved, but ultimately um, these things will really be determined in the heat of battle in knockout rugby. That's where Ireland have historically struggled at World Cups and where you guys have absolutely excelled. And we hope that this team is different. I, I would say that I don't think there's going to be any psychological hang-up. Uh, fans in Ireland might be a, a, afflicted by a kind of a generational trauma when it comes to Rugby World Cup quarterfinals, but those players won't be. They're next game-driven. They do feel as though they know how to beat the All Blacks. They certainly know they can compete with them. And it sort of strikes as being a 50-50 game, and just whoever is more accurate on the day, as much as anything, may get the job done. So when we factor in what's at stake, World Cup quarterfinal, we factor in Ireland's records in quarterfinals, we factor in New Zealand losing to Ireland at home, uh, losing that incredible uh, winning record at home. That, that all sort of weaves into the, the psychological battle in the fan bases, but you think that's a phony war for these two sides, that it's, you know, it just means nothing? Well, I would say that it is almost exactly the same Ireland team as the one that won the third, third test in New Zealand last summer. I, the only change I would say to the starting 15 will be that Gary Ringrose will start at 13, whereas I think in that final test it was Bundy Aki and Robbie Henshaw in midfield. You guys have obviously had sea change, really, in your uh, match day 23. There's been complete changes in the front row, obviously a different midfield for you guys. You've got a different 10-15 combination than you did at that time, plus You've added uh, extra dimensions to your coaching as well. The Joe Schmidt factor we might have a chance to talk about, which is a little bit spooky for us because we just know how great a coach Schmidt is. So I would say like, from the Irish perspective, uh, I, oh, like, there may be something they can glean from the fact that they did go down to New Zealand. They became the first Irish team to ever win a test in New Zealand and then a series in New Zealand. And that has been part of their journey. 
at, at the time, I remember Andy Farrell describing that achievement as arguably the most difficult achievement in world rugby. And it certainly added a kind of a sense of confidence to those players when it comes to facing the All Blacks. A few of them had obviously beaten the All Blacks already in uh, 20, well, at the previous November, and even a few of them in 2018 and 2016 as well. It feels like that was a step on Ireland's journey. It feels like you guys sort of ripped things up a little bit after that series. It was obviously a nadir for you guys. You, you lost that proud home record, at least against Ireland. There was that test as well against Argentina close, close afterwards. But I would say that if you look at this New Zealand team, you did just win a rugby championship. You came into the tournament marginally, but as tournament favourites. Okay, the France game, the opening game, it didn't go your way, but I actually feel as though the scoreline was a little bit deceptive. France kind of ran away in the end, but New Zealand had some really nice spells in that game. I mean, they started in electrifying fashion, and I would say that they're probably a better team for that defeat, right? So, like, when you consider the changes in personnel, I don't know that there's a great deal we can take from that series in New Zealand, aside from the fact that, as you say, psychologically, those Ireland players will feel as though they may have the beating of New Zealand. But when you go back to 2019, and there is a bit of an overlap in terms of the Irish personnel even going back that far, I just don't believe that has any, there's any credence to um, examining that game in any great detail. I don't think the players will be thinking that way at all. Right. Uh, they've ostensibly been playing knockout rugby before this quarterfinal, right? The psychology of the Irish fan is once we get to the last eight, we tend to wilt. And I actually think it's a little bit of an unfair... It's a bit of a myth, in all honesty, as much as the results um, do state that much. There have been mitigating yeah. factors in quite a few of those games. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, I don't know that we necessarily choke in quarterfinals as much as maybe we're just not that good a team by the time we get there. This time around, we're just hopeful that we yeah. are. And that, that is the key difference. Well, I'll be delicate here, Kevin. Uh, I take your word at face value. I understand where you're coming from. I'm not sure the average New Zealand rugby fan is going to buy that notion that you haven't choked at quarterfinals, but you don't care about that, mate. You don't care about that in the slightest. <laughs> what, what I'd really like to well, know, I and, and I, I think... Yeah, on. carry on. No, sorry. No, work away, work away. No. One thing that is clear to me that Islanders have an advantage in, and, and I'm fascinated with this, is connection between fan and player. I think New Zealand rugby fans are miserable. They, 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 they are so passionate from the end of the game all week up into kickoff and then sit on their hands. I've said that for years and years and years. Anyone listening to the show will know I've said that. Ireland, on the other hand, have the most connected, loud fan base. Is that, a, is that going to help this in a quarterfinal? Theoretically, at a neutral venue, it's been a sea of green. It's been a sea of green and so noisy. How can that not, not be an advantage? It is a great point. What I would say about the connection between the players and fans is that it's a relatively new thing, or at least to have it to this extent is relatively new. And it has certainly bled into those players and created almost a sense of destiny that they feel there is something special brewing here. Again, they're not worried about quarterfinals on paper. They're worried about going the whole way, going the distance in this tournament. And they have a right to believe that they can go the whole way as well, by the way. Like, that's where they do differ from previous Ireland teams is that Right. They, okay, whether they're the world number one team or not, whether you truly believe they are the best team in the world or not, they certainly are in the top four, right? So de facto semi-finalists, if the draw had been a little bit kinder, they, they have a right to believe they can go further. The, the sense of destiny 
would worry me sometimes as a fan because I think you should leave that to supporters to have a, a feeling that something is meant to be or there's something special brewing. Yeah. Players need to look after it on the, fi- on the field of play. But when you look at the personnel and, and some of the leaders in that Ireland team, and really from the top down with the coaching as well, like do you think Johnny Sexton is going to take anything for granted or leave anything up to face at this point? You know, he's got three games left, potentially, or fewer in his professional rugby career. So I, what I mean by the, the sense of destiny is more so they feel like the stars have aligned for them and they have to complete the job now. That actually, whatever but the infrastructure and the draw, etc., that when you have 60,000 Ireland fans travelling over to watch you in France's home stadium, it has to mean something. And, and it is a, maybe yeah. a slight advantage. The one counterpoint to that, Daniel, that I would say is you boys did play France in that stadium and I thought acquitted yourselves pretty well. You know, so it didn't feel as though as the atmosphere that day got on top of New Zealand and that's, about as intimidating in a way a game in World Rugby at the moment. I know, yes, again, France won the game, but I just wouldn't read a great deal into that New Zealand defeat. And um, I, ultimately, what kind of a game are you expecting, right? Because the way we would look at it here is that if New Zealand get chances in transition, like I would suggest New Zealand should absolutely bombard Ireland with aerial balls, contestables, not even in an effort to win them cleanly, but just create loose balls, broken play, unstructured play, and that's where you guys unleash Talea, Will Jordan, Bodie, all these guys. And very few teams in the world can stop that, right? Whereas for Ireland, and like atmosphere kind of gets taken out of that equation then, right? Because you guys can go 100 yards in 12, 15 seconds and puncture the atmosphere with the click of your fingers. For Ireland, it probably takes a little bit more work in order for us to uh, get the scores that will be required to get over the line. It probably takes a little bit more intricacy. I'm not saying that Ireland's attack is better necessarily, but when it's on song, it's pretty hard to stop as well, right? So, oh yep, man, I, I love talking about the game. I'm, I'm so excited for it. <laughs> I'm so I know, I, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. And I'm not trying to sit on a picket fence here uh, as far as how New Zealand should uh, play this. I think a lot is determined by that back three of Ireland with the injury concerns they do have. It, 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 you know, um, what once the team is out on the... F- uh, is announced, I might have a greater clarity on that. What, one thing I want from a New Zealand perspective is far greater defensive intensity. I think we're a little bit passive when we compare ourselves to Ireland, to South Africa especially. No one has lines to be quite like them. France, I, I would also put in a similar camp. I think New Zealand can be a little bit passive. And if they get in the face of Ireland, defensive intensity, they could force errors, like we saw in the 2019 uh, quarterfinal. Heck, even Johnny Sexton made an error in the, in the quarterfinal. I think errors cost them at Eden Park. And also Johnny Sexton leaving the field at Eden Park in the first test uh, last year. I'm getting to Johnny Sexton in a roundabout way. He's just a massive figure. But let's wrap this up. And do me a favour, because I need to do some talk back. And, and you know, calls midweek can always be a bit challenging. 0800-150-811. How spooked should New Zealand fans be? Finish up with that one. How spooked (laughs) should we be? I would say that you should be about as spooked as it would have been had you been playing South Africa instead. I think Ireland are that good a team, but equally I think New Zealand are an excellent team and an improving team. Like I'm not going to go, come on New Zealand radio and sound a warning that your boys are going to be sent packing on Saturday night because I think your team deserves greater respect than that. But I would make Ireland very, very, very slight favourites. And I guess... To, in a roundabout way myself, that means you should be spooked, right? I do think Ireland are a good enough team. You mentioned New Zealand's defence. I think Ireland are a good enough team to unpick that defence. And actually, I think if you flip that, yes. Ireland's defence is super underrated. 
uh, and from structured play, they are going to be very difficult to break down. Your boys, you've got the dynamism in your back three and actually across, across the board where you are going to make line breaks, probably more line breaks than even South Africa managed against Ireland, certainly more than Scotland managed against Ireland. But where Ireland's defence is strong is it's kind of a bend but don't break defence at times. Their scramble D is unbelievably good. That's where actually some of those injuries will be key. Matt Hansen, James Lowe, we're not 100% sure on their availability yet. I would say if you were missing two of those guys, flip the script entirely and New Zealand would be favourites. But if Ireland are at full strength, fractional favourites to my mind. But what do you think? I agree with you on that last point about the injuries. I think that they are that important. And you're so right, 202 tackles against Scotland, 88% tackle success. They scrambled brilliantly. Ben right and that's why I put them up there with... And you don't have to defend all the same way, but the way they wake people at the breakdown, the way they get around, I just think... That, that is one area of New Zealand's game I don't know we've been holding back or just haven't been sharp enough. So uh, whatever, Gavin. I, all I know is from up until now to kick off, my mind's probably going to change about 50 times. So I'm sure you'll go back and when you speak to your uh, Irish audience, you, you'll say, look, they do have two eyes in New Zealand. I found a New Zealand rugby fan with two eyes. <laughs> well, you mentioned at the top of the call, thanks for staying up. Mate, I'm not going to sleep this week anyway. That's how I feel about it. So... Let the best team win, and listen, the, the beauty of these two countries, the beauty of this sport that we love is that uh, we'll meet again before long anyway, and uh, I'm sure I can talk to you guys again then, but hopefully I'll be coming on in ebullient form rather than in apologetic form at that point. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. I've kept you way too long. Thank you, mate. Do appreciate your time. Enjoy the game. Uh, Kevin Casey Cheers, joining Marty, us there. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. Uh, sports journalist from the 42 in Ireland. How spooked are you? 0800-150-811. Let us know. We'll be back after this. I really believe that Fiji should be a part of the rugby championship and maybe with Japan because they've shown promise. Uh, Samoa and Tonga should be in a competition just below and there should be relegation maybe every three years to come into the rugby championship. Um, I think rugby league has done a bit more around the Pacific in terms of including them and competitions with Australia and New Zealand. And so we need to start to do that here in this part of the world and be beneficial, especially with talk that South Africa may go to the Six Nations in the future. So that's just my point of view on that. And now we're going to the... We can't afford that. We can't have that, John. We can't (laughs) let South Africa go. We need South Africa for a high... Simply, solely from a high-performance perspective. We need to play South Africa. We need to test ourselves against South Africa. Super Rugby is missing South Africa. We do, we do, but the question should be, do they need us? And that, that's uh, the question that a lot of people <laughs> in South Africa are proposing nowadays. Yeah. Um, exactly. So I'm not, too sure what, I'm not too sure what the future holds. They may well go over to the uh, Six Nations. But in saying that, it looks like the Six Nations in mainly Italy don't want them in the competition because they'll probably take their spot. Uh, but anyways, back to our, our main game this weekend, the All Blacks v Ireland. That was an awesome interview you had there with um, one of the hosts over there in Ireland. I, I truly believe this was probably the game of the tournament. I know everyone's talking about how the Springboks in Ireland, that was an awesome game. But it's going to be free-flowing. And, I, you know, Telia, I love Telia, but I really want to see Whanganuku start. He brings something different. Uh, he's a person that can cause turnovers and get over the ball. And I want Talia to be in the team too, but you probably wouldn't have him there because you'd need centre cover, which is Anton Leonard-Brown. 
so you'd probably have to choose out, out of Talia and Fanganuku on that left wing because they're not going to move Jordan, and at this stage, they're not going to move Barrett. Thanks, John. Appreciate your time and insights. 0800 um, I'm expecting a lot from our next caller. Anyone who shares the nickname of the great Sir Michael Jones uh, must be good. Iceman. Come in, Iceman. Hello, Daniel. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. You mate, I've really enjoyed your contribution to Smithy's show over the last couple of weeks. I've been listening to you from the Gold Coast, and, uh, mate, it's been great. Haven't agreed with all of you what you've had to say, but at least you've put it out there. <laughs> Like, I'd be disappointed if people agreed with everything I said. I look, you know? it'd, be a, it'd be a boring world, wouldn't it? Mate, can I... I, I'll just, I just, I'll I just want them to know they're wrong, Iceman. That, that's all that, matter, that, 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 that matters to me. They can disagree with uh, me, but sound, they're wrong. You sound like my missus. So, uh, <laughs> hey, hey, mate, just, just a couple of things. Um, first of all, with regards to Sama, God, I feel sorry for the boys. I really yeah. do. But, you know, um, and once again, we're all saying it falls back on us and we, and uh, as New Zealand rugby, and I believe that we, we certainly do have to to put our hand up. But, you know, we're in a pretty precarious position ourselves with finances yes. and, and that sort of thing. But so then we come back to world rugby and the money that they make and the distribution that they do. You know, you can, uh, I've got lots of Samoan friends and they always, they say mm, a lot of money comes in, but... They don't know where it goes, and I just think there's an accountability there with the Samoan Rugby Union as to looking Agreed. after after their players. Um, I want to give the country um, a bit of hope. I reckon we can get Ireland, and I reckon we can get them good. And um, I just, but we obviously, as everyone has said, you know, all the planets have to be in alignment. But I just think this, for the first time. And the reading between the lines, it looks like Lomax had a really good hit out. Um, I think we've got a full squad to, to choose from. We haven't been able to do that really since South Africa. Um, I think, I just think with Frizzell in there, and he'll just bring a destructive force at the breakdown. And it just comes back, so it's not the players, it just comes back to how we're going to use them what our back three is going to be, what our midfield's going to look like, and what our makeup of the reserve bench. And it's just unbelievable that we're talking about that in the biggest game in four years. When we've had four years to really be like Ireland, they just choose the same players week in, week out. And when there was an injury, they just slotted that person in. There was never any conjecture. And they, but we just haven't been able to achieve that. But I believe in the players that we got... And I just think with intellectual property that we have, and hopefully with Jason and um, Joe, they have a really, really big input into just how this team plays. And I just think if we do it, I just think Ireland, we've never, ever seen them under pressure. We haven't, except for that Auckland test. And they capitulated. And we've been the only team since then to, or at that time to do it. So um, I just think if we can bring that and bring that intensity and we just run at Sexton and we just keep running at him and running at him, I just think that we've got more than hope. I really think that we can get him. 6.50 with the TAB at 13 plus might be shooting a bit high, but, you know, I'm just thinking why not. I'll take a one-point win, but I reckon if we put them under pressure, I reckon they'll be in trouble, and especially if their back three's a bit out of whack too. You know, those wings, they're their finishers, and um, losing Matt Hanson, it's 
huge out. That guy is a bit like Talia. He's hard to nail, isn't he? You know? Yeah, he's he's slippery. He's slippery. Uh, is always well positioned. Good defender too. Good under the high ball. I, I, I think that sort of blend of the back three, if they do have one or two injuries, could be huge. Iceman, very cool call. Nice pun there. Um, keep disagreeing. Keep calling. Keep uh, contributing. Love that. I'm going to beg, beg Steve to hold the line. I'm begging you, Steve. I'm begging you. I've got to get to a break. Uh, 17 away from 10. Bring your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Daniel McCarty in the chair for Smithy 12 away from 10 o'clock. G'day, Steve. Thank you so much for holding, mate. Really good of you. No, no not a problem. Morning, mate. Um... Mate, you've probably gone up in the clergy this morning, mate, with your opening sermon. You've probably gone from deacon to high bishop, mate. <laughs> so that was absolutely outstanding. And pretty much how I feel as as well going into, you know, just in and around everything that I've seen at the, at, at the Rugby World Cup and certainly the way the Tier 2 teams have been treated, um, a lot of work needs to be done in this space, and you're right. Not at every, not every four years, but right here, right, right now. That's 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 the first point. Second point is your um, analyst that you got in. Boy, he's one of the better ones I've I've actually heard. I know they they actually do some really great analysis on a lot of their shows in in Ireland. They I don't do. know if you've maybe seen some, yeah, they some of them through the. They do. It's just outstanding, and and you know they're honest. No disrespect to our people that are on, I don't know, on the breakdown and what have you. They're really good people, but boy, there's something really matey matey about it. If if you know if you know what I mean, nobody wants to be really be honest around this. Um, yeah, you know, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I think I think there is a reluctance, and, and I don't want to speak on behalf of other people, but I I, I do understand. You, know, you can say the All Blacks are not going to win and still be a fan of the All Blacks, right? I, th- I think there is a perception out there, if you, if you say the All Blacks aren't going to win a game, you're not rooting for them. Yeah. Does that make sense, yeah. Steve? It, it, yeah, it, it, absolutely. And, and dare I say it, with, with a prediction, um, I've got to go for the Irish, simply because all the KPIs, or the key, key point indicators... You know, their multi-layered attack is so good. Their defense is, is, is so good. You know, and this is a this is thing that's something that's playing out in my mind. Teams that have got a lot of players playing out of position don't win Rugby World Cups. Settled, settled teams win Rugby World Cups. Listen, there was an exception to the rule back in 2011 when we played, I think, Richard Kahui and, 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 and Corey Jane and players like that on the wing. But that was really to basically defuse, you know, high kicks and whatnot. But I look at this Irish team, and they just seem to have all their covered, their bases covered. And boy, they they play rugby that's really aesthetically great on the eye. It really is. It's not as if they're they're using bomb squad tactics. Like, if we get knocked out, I'm hoping like if Ireland gets knocked out. I mean, um, South Africa gets knocked out because... Their style yeah. of rugby doesn't do it for me, but on saying that, yeah, I, I get that. Just look at the two tries Ireland scored, the opening two tries against Scotland, Steve. Uh, they're as good as good as you, you 
you see from from a team perspective. Really enjoyed chatting. We've got only got about ninety seconds. Abirahama, uh, welcome into the show. I think you've got the final word this hour. Is it? Um, yeah, it's pretty simple for me, Dan. Uh, I you know all this history about Ireland Day and quarterfinals, yada yada yada. This team's different, <laughs> man. I, they're the Green All Blacks, right? They just they just win. They win. They win. They know their game. They know their game plan. They it, they've got discipline. Um, they're gonna do the same. St- the thing is, they will front. The real question, Dan, is will we? That's the real question for me. Um, and you I'm answer that question. Uh, I think we front physically, but I don't know if we front um, tactically, because the Bodie thirty meter bombs seem to be our tactic for the last three year three years. Our discipline is not what it's been. Um, I'm not sure our attack is innovative enough either. Um, so even if we front physically, nail our set piece, yeah, we still might lose because they're better than us, right? And that's what, <laughs> yeah, 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 they're a really good team. It's a really good point. We, we could play well and they could still win. Um, because they're, they're such a good side. There's so much rugby IQ in, in Irish rugby at the moment. Up in Arma, really, really um, uh, nice to hear from you. Great call. Do appreciate it. Got to get to a break. You raised some really salient points. There's so much rugby IQ in, in Ireland, not just the Irish rugby team, but as our previous caller said, uh, across the rugby panels, there's, there's a lot of smart people in that sport, and it's being played out on the field. Uh, it's nearly six minutes away from 10 o'clock. Thanks for all your calls. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, thank you for all your calls this uh, hour. Haven't got too many text messages because of those calls. Do appreciate it. We'll continue to talk with you and about this World Cup quarterfinal. And you know what we haven't even done, Louis? We haven't even talked about South Africa and France, really. Have we? Have we? Not a lot. We're going to go to France in the next hour, though. We're going to catch up with uh, Andrew Gordy. He's on the ground in France. We'll find out uh, how is DuPont Mania um, heightened again with uh, suggestions he'll play against South Africa in the quarterfinals. We'll speak to Andrew Gordy, who's in France and Paris. Catch the vibe out of Paris. That is coming up in the next hour. Huge race this weekend. What, 20 million bucks, if I'm not mistaken? The Everest, we're going to talk about that and many other things. Cameron Roger will join the program to do that for us. I can't wait to catch up with the Managing Director for Intane here in New Zealand. We will uh, take a short, short break, though. Over the news at 10 o'clock because we're just a few seconds away from ending 10 o'clock and Aroha will be with you with the latest news. Giga kick, Giga kick down the outside wins the Everest. The unbeaten three-year-old's done it. Giga kick beat Private Eye. Yeah, amazing memories of uh, the last iteration of that uh, awesome event. This weekend, when you factor that in, it's a massive weekend of sport here in New Zealand. Um... The All Blacks, the Black Caps in World Cup, Silver Ferns, White Ferns, All Whites, Kiwi Ferns. I feel like that McDonald's ad from a few years ago. Uh, just to name a handful, all in action. And then there is the horse from Manamata wearing the unmistakable Kiwi silks of its breeder and owner, Waikato Star, taking on the world's fastest sprinters in the $20 million Everest at Royal Randwick just after 6 o'clock on Saturday. Kiwi Connection and Test Match field to this extends to our bookmaker the TAB and their new partners the global betting giants in Tain as they are the holder of the expensive slot which 
uh, I Wish I Win will race in. Cameron Roger is the Managing Director of Entine here in New Zealand, and he is in Sydney already, soaking up the atmosphere, I am sure. Morning, Cameron. How are you doing? G'day. How are you going, guys? We're all right, mate. What about you? Excitement level? Is it, where is it at? Uh, it's getting it's getting close to fever pitch. I was just listening to your intro there and goosebumps, right? Thinking about um, you know, I guess what's on offer this weekend and then what 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 part the horse will play in that and and, and the team at Waikato and the team here. So we we're excited, mate. So for those of us who aren't fully up to date here, can you give us a what the start to present rundown, if you will, um, of what the Everest is and how the TAB and Trackside are involved with I wish I win in this very lucrative horse race. Yeah, so I mean, the Everest is a race that's um, not that old in the scheme of, um, of races. You know, most of the, the big races in, um, on the card throughout the year have a, a long sort of storied history. The race is, re- the race is relatively young. Um, it's a slot race, so it's a, a race where, um, you know, slot holders um, buy a slot and then are able to put the horse in that they want and um, compete for a, a significant prize pool. So um, it's a brainchild of um, Racing New South Wales and Peter Belandes and I guess the reason we were really, really keen to get involved in in some way was it's sort of a race that has redefined, um, you know, the race day experience. It appeals to a, a younger generation, but but still has, you know, everything that you'd, you'd want to see in, in a top quality race, the best sprinters going around for a big purse. And um, yeah, that's 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 the that's the story there. And we were lucky enough to get involved with a slot for, for this year. And um, we had the perfect uh, perfect horse to put in there. And, and I wish I won from the team at Waikato Stud. So um, that's, the, that's, that's the general rundown. Cam, Louis here. Pleasure to have you on the show. And um, I hope you enjoyed your night last night. And we can talk about the barrier that I wish I win pulled and the, the audible gasps around the Sydney Harbour. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. Just, I'm curious though, Someone in your position, and you understand the wagering landscape in New Zealand, where the TAB sits and the the kind of ecosystem of entertainment. How important is it, from your perspective, to be involved in a race like this, which is clearly captivating audiences in Australia, and to try and extend that here into New Zealand? Yeah, I mean it's huge, right? I think um, there's so many angles that we we loved about getting involved, but um, I suppose the big one for us is just getting that cut through into into the mainstream consciousness. But then. Uh, helping people realize you know we breed some of the fastest horses in the world down here um it's an industry that obviously everyone involved and around it is so incredibly proud of and i think you know one of the things that i've really really enjoyed about the experience thus far is just more and more people coming to understand um understand that piece of the the puzzle and how we fit and yeah i think that it, it the, the the big part of it for us is that it uplifts you know the whole industry it uplifts everything um people are aware they understand this and yeah they get engaged and involved in not just this race but but all racing i mean there's some fantastic uh races lined up for for later in the year um, down here and even one on saturday down there at, at hastings so that's a, a big part of the puzzle for us yeah well the importance of this all seems pretty clear uh just having spoken to you for a few minutes but is this something that the TAB would have done before Entain's partnership um, came about? Do you ever imagine that? Because this partnership's still relatively young too. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it was um, it was something we wanted to do really early on to make a, a bit of a splash, I suppose. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't say that TAB would have never considered it before, but it certainly gets a lot right. easier with the, I guess, the resources and the connections and, and all the, the different bits and pieces that come with our partnership down here. So, um, you know, we were looking for something early doors to, to try and, I guess, um, 
yeah, like I say, make a bit of a splash and get get racing into the the mainstream a little bit. And yeah, we couldn't be we couldn't be more thrilled with how it's gone thus far. Although we still got a few days left to run, um, but you know, but we're, we're really excited with how it's gone so far. In a broader sense, Cam, when you think about this and the way it's cutting through into racing, but then let's take a step back further. Where do you see the TAB and moving forward the new iteration of the TAB with Entain's, well, I guess behemoth purse and, and the backing and all the support and the technology you've got? Where do you see that in the, the kind of ecosystem of entertainment options in 2023? Because gone are the days of, um, well, <laughs> yeah, bookmaking is one of those industries and I guess wagering is one of those industries that's the bell curve and the, the innovation and the way it's changed the century is, is kind of hard to fathom. So where is your role now in kind of modern New Zealand? It's a, it's a really good question, mate, to be honest. I mean, I, I talk all the time about, and maybe it's um, to make myself feel better about things, but I, I think that the, <laughs> the, the sort of wagering, the wagering game is one of the more complex um, industries you can be in, right? And it, it's it's largely due to what you've been saying. I mean, you know, it used to be the case, and not, not saying it was easy, but it was a little bit more, I guess, straightforward in its application. You know, you run a tote, you, you kind of do your thing, you got your margin, it's set, that, that's it, right? And, you know, now, I mean, I, I think back seven eight years ago, we couldn't imagine, um, you know, across the whole sector, the things that matter now matter in the way that they do, right? So if I had a crystal ball and I could tell you exactly where things will go, um, I would be very, very um, pleased, but I don't, right? And I think that all I know is that the the standard um, model of, of taking bets is not is not the future, right? We have to find ways to engage um, people as, as fans of the sports. We've got to find different ways to deliver media and deliver like innovative products and everything up to people so you know it's constantly changing every day and um you know this race is kind of a, a testament to that to think that a race could come out of nowhere the way that this this has in such a short period of time and become you know the, the focal talk, talking point of racing at this this point in the year which is um is pretty incredible um you know i think that we're going to see this whole thing go to places none of us can really imagine just yet but it's going to be a fun ride well, it sounds fascinating to me in the sense um, your, your landscape is equal parts fascinating and challenging, right? Like you've got to look around, see what the others are doing, but also be inventive and, and come up with your own. Um, so so you, you need a lot of eyes, a lot of ideas, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think back to um, Dean Shannon, who's our, our CEO, he talks about, you know, the BitBoost, which is now a staple product of the wagering game. You know, that was a completely innovative product sort of when it was introduced. It was something that he championed and, and led. And, um, you know, it's it's not a case of just looking over the fence for us here as well. Like, I mean, Australia especially um, has really led the way in terms of, um, you know, wagering innovation around the world. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a really exciting game, but as I say, a lot of work because you constantly um, you constantly are kept on your toes. Mate, it's it's really obvious when uh, we talk to you guys, and uh, I got to interview Dean, and he didn't shy away from the investment, and we know the figures that uh, we got up front, which has gone you know um, ma- ma- massively to the racing industry and to the codes, which is great, and the stakes are bigger this year, so the outlay of expenditure is for everyone to see. I'm really curious, and I don't know how you answer this, what do you want to see in return from the customer base? And what are you going to, I guess, use as your watermarks for success as far as return? And how long is the runway? <laughs> That's a good question. So, I mean, I won't, I won't go into too, too, much, too much detail, but, you know, we've put up a five-year um, minimum guarantee for the racing industry. And, 
you know, one of the reasons that we wanted to do that was to just give um, certainty to to an industry that hasn't really had it for, or really ever, if you look back at the full the full <laughs> run, runway. But um, you know, to give some certainty that, hey, look, um, you know, we're going to invest over this five year period, and and that's not something anyone has to be afraid of, right? The the, the investment that we're making now, and I think Dean talks pretty openly about this, um, and Lock, our, our CFO and Deputy CEO talk about this frequently. You know, we're deep in the red, um, and will be for a while, but. You know, we believe that investment's needed, and we think that the you know the the bones of what we've got here is is more than enough to get the flywheel going, right? So, um, you know, what we need to see from customers is is nothing more than just give give our product a crack, right? We're um we're launching a new betting platform next year, which will which will redefine the betting experience for customers, and you know um take the time to to to, to listen to the stories we're putting out about racing and and learn a bit more about the industry we've got here, um, because it really is one that that we can all get behind, um. But our job is to sell to customers and to and to and to to spend money to grow it, and that's what we're going to do. Um, and we think that the formula is there for um, you know a successful future. Cameron Roger, uh, managing director TRB, is with us. I'm a bit of an old soul here, Cameron. Allow me to explain. I hate uh, smartphones annoy me. How we, do, we we don't actually have any sort of uh, interpersonal connection. Actually, seeing people, talking to people. Now we get a lot. And stay with me. I'm not going down a rabbit hole on a tangent. Um, we always have plenty of questions about retail betting and whether there is still a future for being able to, to go to a shop or a pub and have a good experience having a bet in person. What say you? Mm. So that's a good question. It comes up. It comes up a lot. I mean, the the, the answer is we see we see a, a strong future for retail, right? I mean, it's a critical strategic asset for us here in New Zealand. I mean, especially at the moment where the online environment is is not restricted in any way. So. You know, as part of our, you know, the the, the framework here, the retail environment is protected. So, um, you know, we, we believe in it. So I've, I've mentioned it publicly before, but we're in the process of, you know, deeply investing into that that channel. So we're gonna um, we're gonna procure and, and purchase um, all new terminals, self service machines. The one we've got, in, the ones we've got on there at the moment are very dated and, and and need a need an upgrade. So, you know, we're investing in it. And I think your point around connection and community is something I talk about all the time. Um, it's a very real thing to go into a tabby on a Saturday. Um, like go into your local tabby and have a look around and see the people in there, how they interact. I mean, that is a core social group of so many people. Um, and it really is the backbone of, of betting and racing in, in, in New Zealand, right? Um, so I really believe in it. We, we all do here. I think the, the only thing that we say, and, and this is this is the case for any industry, is it, it just has to be redefined a little bit. It has to move along. Um, you know, you have to integrate the digital experience a little bit more into those shops. Yeah. You have to find ways to keep people, people engaged once they're in there. I mean, any industry that doesn't innovate, um, it eventually dies, and, and we don't plan on doing that. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to show a lot of love to retail, and it's going to look and feel um, a little bit different, but it'll, it'll still have all those fundamentals that you've described that matter to us and to our customers we know. Mm. No, it makes sense, and I don't think anyone wants it to be the same either, and I don't think it would survive that way, so good to know you're, you're making sense of that. Hey, there's a couple of texts that have come in, um, straight while you've been on air, Cam, and we don't chat that often on air, so I might as well put them to you, and we'll see if you can answer them. You're a pretty smart bloke, so I imagine you'll go all right. Um, first one is from Richard. This is a, a probably a bit of a softball compared to Jack's message, but um, how much to buy a slot? Do you know what the outlay was for Entain when they got involved in the Everest? Um, so the slots, I think the slots, uh, the, the cost of the slots publicly available. So there's 600k um, a slot, and um, it's not a case of being able to buy one per se. So um, 
you know, th there are slots available for purchase. There are 12 slot holders that are full. Um, and if you want to purchase one now, um, you don't really have an option to do so unless one becomes available and, and you get the approval for racing New South Wales, but, but none were. And so our, our slot is actually leased. Um, so we, we basically leased it off a current slot holder who was English. Um, so that's on a one, a one year deal. And I guess, you know, depending on how we go, um, I'm not saying that, that that same slot will be available next year, but we really want to show that, hey, if we if we get the chance to, to have a slot, you know, and, and get a Kiwi horse in there or, um, or or any good horse really in future years, um, you know, that we can really promote the race and, and, and I guess, um, you know, get New Zealand in behind it. Um, so, so that's kind of the situation with the slots. Yeah, make, makes sense. Um, and Jack says, when will fixed odds markets be out for harness fields on release like they are for gallops rather than having to wait for wait 24 hours before the meeting to have a bet? Any idea about that? Is, is that in your remit? Is that something you're looking at? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question and one that's come up quite a bit in terms of um, feedback we've got early doors. So, look, um, you know, we, we, we believe in... Um, getting markets up as quickly as possible, giving as long a lead in for, for customers to, to see the fields and to, um, to, to get a bit on as, as we can. Um, we're just working through at the moment, you know, with Harness, obviously you have to get through NOMS yep. um, and all the, the actual race administration side of things, which, you know, which, which has to come first. But, you know, we've got to work together with the codes um, to see if we can optimise all of that for the customer experience, right? So it's definitely on the radar and, um, yeah, keep an eye on it. Cameron, we'll get you out on this one, mate. I know you've got a busy uh, week ahead. Uh, now, we're led to believe there is something rather exciting happening this afternoon that punters should keep their eyes peeled for. Dot, dot, dot. Come on, explain. <laughs> Spot on, yeah. So, look, we're, um, uh, you know, we've, we've been giving a big push, I guess, around getting the race, um, you know, promoting the race to the public, which, which has been fantastic thus far, and we've had great messages of support and videos and, and things popping up organically. But we really wanted to put something in behind it that, that, that sort of pushed it over the edge a little bit. So we've come up with a promo, which is going to be released later today. Um, and, you know, I've been around the wagering game for a while, and I can genuinely say this is the most exciting one that I've ever seen. And, you know, it's something that we've intentionally made very easy for everyone to get involved in. Um, but I think that the purest punters and, and the general public will will really um will really enjoy it and and look to get behind it it involves a life-changing amount of money is probably the other big teaser that i'll say um <laughs> and yeah it'll be out later later in the day and yeah i'm hoping that everyone everyone in new zealand has a crack oh you tease you tease cameron what a tease <laughs> there are so many questions i'll just have to wait you know being a notoriously patient person I will wait like the rest of us. Hey, Cameron, thank you so much. So much uh, information there uh, we gleaned from you. Thank you for your time. Uh, enjoy what really is uh, a monster sporting week. Anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Our pleasure. Cameron Roger, managing. managing. I don't know why I put an R in there. What, what do you think of his managing director TV, by the way? Louis has fallen off his chair. Do you think it's Wainui Amata Lotto ticket level of money? Probably not. Did someone find that ticket? Did they claim that? Have they claimed that? I, I tell you what, I did note, I'd noted this, that when I was speaking to Cameron about coming on the show, he did note that he was happy that the uh, Powerball went over the weekend. So there's, this, is, this, is the, this is the feature. This is the feature sort of um, amount of money that you're going to want to be curious about uh, over the weekend. I can't say any more. I don't know. Oh, so know. you know. 
Well, no, I don't know. Oh, there's I just nothing know. worse than telling I people know you know, but you're not no, allowed no, no. to tell No, no, no. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that it's. A, I know that it's. Well, it's a very big amount of money, and I know that it's right in my wheelhouse because it's got everything to do with racing. Hey, can I just play you this audio yeah. clip? Because even you, even you, and I'm going to be extremely um, uh, disparaging about your racing intellect here. Even you, Daniel would know that the the groan of this, because, you know, you're a great people reader, the groan of this voice doesn't <laughs> sound like it's it's a good thing. Brian, can you roll the clip from this is when I Wish I Win's barrier was drawn at the Sydney Harbour last night. That's not good. That's not good. That's not a good groan. That's not a good. It's not a happy groan, and we like happy groans. Groaning happily can be lots of fun. That is not a good groan. That is not a good groan. It's a bad groan. Um. So barrier one, which when you think about it, you would think, oh, that's a great thing. It's it's not out wide. It's close to the rail. But what happens is, I wish I win. Right, isn't necessarily the fastest starter. He's not slow, right. but he likes to find his feet. So what that means is, when you draw in, all of those horses are going to sandwich around him like a kind of a protractor. And he's probably, if he doesn't, if Luke Nolan, it just means the jockey's job, Luke Nolan's job, is so much harder. He's going to have to get him out of the gates and try to find a position. Otherwise, risk being four back on the fence, which means. But you don't get a lot of galloping room, and uh, all of a sudden, it's pretty hard to find some some clear right. air. So I'm not saying he can't win, but I'm just saying the job got a lot harder. As by Brian, just one more time, just one more time. I want to hear that great. Just one more. You, you could you, when that when that noise happened, you know, when that number came up, you knew straight away. Oh. <laughs> oh, no good. So not only do you need to be fast. You'd be a great runner. You need to race well. Um, so uh, yep. I'll talk about another sport I know nothing about based on my sermon yesterday. Uh, th- they need to embrace their inner Nick Willis and, and be a great racer. Yeah? Mid- yes. Middle distance running? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. A great a racer. sprinter. Usain Bolt would be better, but Nick Willis would do. No, but like getting out of the traffic. Oh, sorry, I'm with you. Yeah, around the bend. Like, yeah, like, yeah, in, a 1500, yeah. like in a 1500 metres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run elbows up, and the jockeys yeah, do. You exactly, see them. They exactly. elbows up yeah. and uh, fearless. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. 22 minutes after 10 o'clock. This is SENZ. Uh, mornings with Ian Smith. Mine is Smithy. Uh, while he's at the Cricket World Cup. Louis Herman wants to hear. My name is Daniel McCarty. Brian Rarity is our producer extraordinaire. We will take a break. Uh, still to come this hour, we'll head to France for the Bulletin with Andrew Gordy out of News Hub. While next hour, uh, we're going to talk some sale GP with uh, Liv McKay. Uh, McKay, stay with us. Back after the short break. It's Kiwi for Sport. Call anytime. 0800 150 Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Alright, 28 minutes after 10 o'clock, this is Mornings with Ian Smith, mine is Smithy. Um, Daniel McCarty with you, let's uh, bring up my text machine. Sorry, I was talking to Louis Herman Watt about the, the joys of drive-by drop-offs to kindy. You know, you get kids back to kindy. can be very excited. Just roll down the window, throw them out. Go on, have some fun. Let's get to Dave, who writes a really interesting one here, Louis. This is the first World Cup game ever I'm not expecting to win. 
So if we do, great. If we don't, I won't be upset. It's a great relieving feeling. <laughs> Cheers, Dave. Pressure's off. I like that. I like that. Mark writes, run at Sexton all day. He'll stuff up and use his shoulder, which will result in a card, and then they'll fold. Simple as, it's pretty simple. If, if you listen to the world, of, according to Mark, I, I like simplistic things. Uh, Craig writes, uh, Daniel, I reckon the result is pretty clear. If Ireland and New Zealand both play their best game, Ireland will win comfortably. If Ireland have an off day and New Zealand play their very best, then New Zealand could sneak through. Don't think there can be any doubt that objectively Ireland are the better team. Love your show. Thank you, Craig. Um, another one here. Hi, Dan. I'm not sure your news headlines are accurate calling the ABs versus the Paddies as the as a World Cup hit-out. More like a sudden-death knockout game. By the way, ABs by 18+. plus. Luck's about to run out for the Irish. Um, World Rugby desperately want Ireland to win the World Cup, so they give us Wayne Barnes. Boring. I think he, that, that, that type of text is in the minority now. I, I think Wayne Barnes has proven himself in the 16 years since that he's a really good ref. Although, although, and I screenshotted it. 16 years. 16 I screenshotted years. it because I wanted to bring it up. Speaking of boring, the media is a part of this. We feel this, and we know what we're doing. And I say we collectively. It doesn't help, and my my girlfriend works for them. I've got no bias against them, but Stuff, who've got fantastic sports and rugby journalists sending out push notifications, controversial ref in charge of World Cup quarterfinal between All Blacks and Ireland. What? It, it doesn't help. What? That's 16 years ago. It's so boring. It's cringy. What, what controversy? What controversy has he been involved in? Well, he nearly got attacked at an airport one day, didn't he? So, God. Collectively, Lou and I have done far worse things than Wayne Barnes over the last 16 years. Right? Don't look too close at it, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. Whatever you do, nope. stuff. Don't actually, don't send any journalists to do some proper reporting. You know, like. Journalistic stuff. Uh, a bit worried about our loose forwards. Uh, Kane and Savi are on the paddock at the same time. Leaves uh, a big attack area at line-out time for Ireland. I think it will encourage them to put the ball behind us and look to the line-out. Keep your messages coming in. We've got a whole stack of them. Um, I'll try and get through all of them. I can't always promise. Your best bet is always call us at 9.30. That's when we love to take your calls and love to get your uh, thoughts. Got to get to the news. Um, have we got a love racing update on the other side? I always defer to Louis on that. He might be back with something. It's uh, time for the news, 29 away from 11. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Radio, we're 27 away from uh, 11, and all of this chat about the Everest is just making me thirsty for a bit, to be honest, responsibly. And uh, because I'm over the age of 18, I'm allowed to do it as well. Um, so what do we have? Well, we've got Topor today to uh, dip our toe into the week of racing and uh, there's a couple of horses that I don't mind actually one is one of the most beautifully bred well horses mares in New Zealand um, every time she races I have a very close look at her it's Davici Bell and she's drifting to a, a, an each way tote here but I don't know if she'll be winning today in race number five this is um, the uh, half sister to Melody Bell 
out of not a sing uh, by not a single doubt, I should say. Um, but that's a pretty competitive race, to be honest. Academy Awards only won once from a 14 starts, but probably should have won more. That's race five. It's a nice competitive 1100 meter race. Uh, race seven. There's a a Satono Aladdin galloper in here called Suzuka for Dana. Uh, Denisa Guy. Um, Warren Kennedy takes the ride from Barrier 1. I suspect it'll be a very good track up there today. It is, it's a good force. So I think you're not going to not want to be on the pace or, or with a low gate, saving ground and trying to scoot up the, the rail there at Topo. So uh, I think Suzuka's got the draw and the jockey to be a very good winning chance over 1,000 metres today in race 7. Um, of course, today being Wednesday, we're going to get the markets for this weekend. And what is this weekend, Daniel? Okay, I'll tell you. This weekend's the Livermore Classic. Group 1 here in New Zealand. It's the Group 1 Caulfield Guineas across the ditch uh, down there at Caulfield. It's also the two-rack handicap where maybe one of the more exciting racehorses, Amelia's Jewel from Perth, will be going around. And, of course, the Everest and uh, all things good with uh, Sydney Racing on Saturday, including a very expensive race named after King Charles. So um, there you go. It's a massive Saturday of racing coming. We will be able to go through all of the markets for you tomorrow once we have them. Um, Friday, we're also at, uh, sorry, tomorrow we're also at Waverley where there's a couple of nice chances going around. So it's a big weekend for the Thoroughbreds. It's a big week for the Thoroughbreds and uh, all of those markets we talk about are at tab.co.nz. And if you wanted to go and have a look and do any form, which we encourage you to do, go to loveracing.nz. That's loveracing.nz. Uh, you can go and check all of the Grand Tour events, go and do all your form, your replays, your, your sectionals, your times, all of that good stuff there. Boy, it's very exciting at 25 minutes to 11. Daniel. Thank you very much, Louis. Herman Watt, to appreciate that. Uh, I've got my best French-inspired cardigan on today because I knew we'd be heading to France at some stage to catch up with the, the glorious Mr. Andrew Gordy. Uh, he is up next. It is the Bulletin. We will head to France, catch up with Andrew Gordy and get the vibe, the vibe from Gay Paris. Stay with us. 24 minutes away from 11. SENZ's Hawks Bay ratings better be going through the roof with Izzy and Smitty. You're listening to SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Bulletin. It's time for the bully as we catch up with a fine New Zealand media mind and wade our way through a number of topics. Although we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna compact our topics uh, to a theme. A French theme, because we're going to France now. Yes, he's touched down, he's on the ground. He's adding his two cents and some quality content for News Hub. It's our good friend, Mr. Andrew Gordy. How's France, mate? <laughs> You're certainly coughing some food. Oh, Dan, France is magnificent. Paris is magnificent, um, mainly because I'm just getting, well, all the, all the love and support from Olivier Ritchie, uh, our rugby reporter. You'd probably know him as Ollie, but Olivier Ritchie, he has been here for so long, Dan, that he's just become immersed in French culture. He's he's speaking French constantly. He's currently smashing a salmon tartare. Uh, I've ordered, ordered the foie gras. Um, and as he just said to me, red wine just doesn't hit the same unless it's from the Bordeaux region. So, um, yeah, he's fully immersed in French culture, Dan. And uh, now we're loving it. We're loving our start to life here in Paris. I'm not sure how long we'll be here, Dan, but we'll enjoy it while we're here. Uh, how's how's um, his Crusaders propaganda in French sounding? Slightly more palatable? <laughs> 
Mate, I, I don't know about his, his Crusaders propaganda. I don't know but if you know, but Ollie in a former life was a halfback. I'm actually wondering if in light of Antoine Dupont's injury, whether Ollie's actually planning to gain French nationality and actually try and, you know, make a, make a late play to be the French halfback at this World Cup, uh, the way things are going. But no, look, you, you and I both know that Ollie's a, a, a tried and true, died in the wall, red and black man. So um, no, he's, he's trying to spread the Crusaders gospel as far, as far and wide as, as he possibly can. Well, the gospel of Anton Dupont rings very loud around that country. I'm not sure how long you've actually been on the ground or if your brain's functioning post, you know, such a long trip. And <laughs> Mr. Gordy, but, but they love that guy over there. So is it panic stations? Is it oh, pure joy and relief that he might play? Paint that picture. Look, Dan, I've been on the ground less than 48 hours. We're coming up 48 hours. Um, I've got to say that... There has been a massive boost, a massive boost to the vibe of the, the nation here and for rugby fans here in Paris uh, that Antoine Dupont is returning. I've got to say, though, Dan, I'm in utter disbelief about this. I mean, it's less than three weeks since the guy suffered a, a broken cheekbone and had a plate inserted. Now, I don't know, perhaps to us mere mortals, it seems utterly incomprehensible uh, that he would return to play a quarterfinal of a Rugby World Cup against not just any team, but the most physical team possible uh, in the Springboks. So, look, I suppose it remains to be seen whether whether he will play a part in this quarterfinal and, and if he does, what sort of role he will play. Will he wear any kind of face mask? I don't know, but he is a superhero, isn't he? He is a superhero yeah. for this French team. And, and if he doesn't play, it's hard to see how they would have a chance, I suppose, uh, of knocking off the Springboks team because it would just dent the spirit, I think, of this this French team so much so that yeah, perhaps getting over the over the line in a quarterfinal against Springboks uh, against the Springboks might be a step too far. But we'll see how it how it unfolds over the next uh, coming days. I find this a fascinating story and a bit of a vexed issue, Andrew, in the sense in this age of player welfare, this sort of flies in the face of it. Excuse the pun, but then I also think, well, the player is his own sort of destiny. Well, that's right, mate. And I suppose when it's the sort of injury that it is, you know, we're talking about a facial injury here. We're not talking about, you know, a, a, a knee ligament tear or, or an Achilles tear or anything like that, a hamstring that is absolutely going to prevent you from playing. I mean, when it comes to a, a competitor and a, and a champion like Antoine Dupont, when you're playing in a Rugby World Cup on, on home soil, you're not going to get this opportunity again. I'm sure he will do absolutely anything he can to make sure he's out there leading this team. But I'm with you, mate. In this day and age of, of player welfare, how is it that a medical professional has cleared him to play in a contact sport like rugby union um, in, in such a manner? And, and the speed of the turnaround, like I, I mentioned, it's less than three weeks since he suffered this injury and, and underwent surgery. I, I, I beg his belief, but look, it's happened and... I don't know, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised given what's at stake for the host. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Andrew Gordy is with us. This is the Bulletin. We're keeping him from his desserts. We won't keep him too much longer. Uh, you've been on the ground 48 hours in Paris. Now, I found Paris really interesting when I was there at the start of the tournament. I didn't, it didn't feel like the World Cup was on until I got to the likes of Lyon and especially Toulouse. Uh, is it different to you? Now, now we're on the, the cusp of a quarterfinal. France are involved. Is Paris catching up? No. Yeah, look, Dan, I've got to agree with you, mate. I've got to agree with you. And I've actually been speaking to, to Ollie and, and Warren, my, my, our cameraman, I suppose, about this because they've been obviously touring around. And they've also noticed that, that the, the World Cup presence was definitely stronger 
in places like Lyon, in places like Toulouse. Obviously, Paris is a big city, right? It's a massive city, and, and not everyone in Paris is going to be infected with World Cup fever. But certainly, it, it's inevitable, isn't it? As we get closer to the business end of this competition, and I suppose it will also depend on how long the host nation remains in this tournament as well, um, that the, the hype will continue to build. But no, certainly, when you're going around, you you see the signs, you can sit, you know, you go past the fan zone, you see the signage, you see, you know, the face of Antoine Dupont um, pretty much everywhere. In fact, I'm looking at his face right now. Um, so it is certainly there, and that hype is starting to build for sure. Do you give them much chance to get past South Africa? I think without Dupont, it might be a step too far. Even with Dupont, I just think that South Africa, they've got that edge, haven't they? They're, they're such a physical and, and, and imposing team. Um, and I just sense that even though they fell to, to the Irish, I, I just think they've got that World Cup pedigree, Dan. You know what I mean? And mm, and look, yeah. I mean, look, the French obviously knocked off the All Blacks as well. It's going to be a fascinating encounter one way or the other. And, it, and I know uh, I'm not the first person to say this, but it is desperately sad that two out of Ireland, the All Blacks, France and South Africa are going to be knocked out of this tournament after this weekend. It's, it's desperately sad and it's, and it's all sorts of wrong from World Rugby's perspective. How can they be happy with that scenario? Um, but that's, that's what we're facing up to here. Two, two fascinating quarterfinals uh, coming up, that's for sure. And you can say in Paris, because the All Blacks and Ireland are coming to you, what a game that is going to be. I, I'm just... I just I think I've gone through a lot of emotions right now. I'm just so excited to see two teams who play the game in an enterprising way go at it. Yeah, look, when it comes to Ireland and the All Blacks, Dan, look, it really is such a fascinating and unique scenario. Look, purely just from, from New Zealand and the All Blacks' perspective, the All Blacks have never entered, ever entered, not even come close to entering a, a World Cup quarterfinal as underdogs. But they do here, and, and quite rightly they do here, not just because of the recent history between the two sides, but also just the way that Ireland have been playing. They, the, the way that they put away South Africa earlier in this tournament was just so clinical and and so uh, just so deeply impressive, I think, um, that they could put in a performance like that, a complete performance both on, on both sides of the ball, obviously, defence and attack. Um, they really did get the job done. And, you know, you look across their team and, and they don't look like a team of superstars, but they are a superstar team, that's for sure. And I think Andy Farrell deserves an awful lot of credit for that. Um, and there's no question that this all-black side is coming up against a, a, a very imposing and an impressive team uh, this weekend. And it's, it's just going to be fascinating to see whether this all-blacks team can rise to the occasion and whether they can find another level, another gear. Do they have something up their sleeve? Because on the face of it, it is hard to say with any confidence that this All Blacks team is going to win, is going to be able to put together a performance that's going to be good enough to knock over an Irish team that just seems so complete at the moment. But that's what's fascinating about this task. That's what's fascinating about this whole occasion as, as well for Ireland. You know, there will inevitably be, unless, unless they blitz the first half and they put the All Blacks to bed and, and stun us all, there is going to be a moment or a period of time in this game where you just know that the Irish pressure is going to tell, because there's going to be about 60,000 fans in that stadium who have come here because they hope and they sense that they might witness something special, that they will knock off not just the All Blacks, but get past the semi-final and win a World Cup. Now, if we're at the 60-minute mark and this match is close, and then you can have players like Dane Coles, Sam Whitelock coming onto the field, they're going to be chirping away, and they are just going to start turning up the dial and putting the pressure on this Irish team 
just to see whether they've got what it takes, to see whether they've got the metal um, to, to back up what they've produced over the last, what is it, 17 test matches that's taken them to the number one team in the world. There's, there's been plenty of occasions where the number one team in the world and lots of sports have failed to live up to expectations when it comes to a World Cup, and that's what's special about these tournaments, Dan, isn't it? Yeah, you, you bang on. I'll get you out on this one because I fear Olivier Richet is going to do a runner and leave you with the bill. Uh, <laughs> Joe Schmidt, uh, the, the, the Irish the Irish watching yours through our news hub are like clearly big fans of Joe Schmidt. Clearly. Joe Schmidt, yeah. Wasn't that fascinating from Keith Earls? Like, yeah. I, I, was, I thought it was really interesting and impressive because when you just read the quote, it sounds very aggressive. But the way he actually delivered the words was not. It was very matter-of-fact. And they quite clearly feel, or at least Keith Earls quite clearly feels, that they have absolutely moved on. And I, and I actually think, if we're being really honest, what he was saying is that Andy Farrell is the one who deserves so much of the credit for what this Irish team has turned into. Now, Joe Schmidt obviously did very well with that Irish team. He advanced them to a, to a point... But look, we saw it four years ago, didn't we? Um, when the All Blacks put on a very, a very complete performance against that Irish team in the quarterfinal uh, in Japan, uh, which was orchestrated, let's not forget, by Ian Foster in a, in, a, in a ruthless and clinical attacking display. But quite clearly, over over the last four years, Andy Farrell has taken this team not just to another level, but to be the very best team in the world, and a team that is setting the benchmark. And, and really, um, they've now got the, the target on their backs. Um, that the All Blacks will try and hit this weekend. But, yeah, Joe Schmidt, he's obviously got a part to play this weekend for the All Blacks. Um, if they're going to win this match, he has, he has certainly got a role to play. But whether it will be down to any inside knowledge he has, I, I'm not sure. But he's clearly an excellent coach. He prepares very well. And Aaron Smith made a point today of saying that Joe Joe prepares immensely. And, you know, if you if you give him a minute to show you a, show you a clip, one of the clips he's prepared, you better set aside 20 minutes for it because that's the kind of coach he is. So... Um, he's, he's an excellent coach. He's got a role to play for this All Blacks team. But, yeah, certainly um, it, it was a clear message, I think, from Keith Earls uh, yesterday that certainly the credit for where this Irish team has got to lies with Andy Farrell and perhaps not with Josh. Andrew, you're a hero for taking our call. Thank you so much. Get back to the table. Please give my very best to the uh, New Zealand media pack uh, at the Rugby World Cup. Tell them I miss them, but not really. We miss you, Dan. But but really, but really we do. We'd love to have you here, but I'll get back to the Bordeaux and the foie gras. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Good on you. Andrew Gordy, The Bulletin. Done and dusted for today. Are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just a magnificent song to invite. Magnificent. Well done, you. Let's get to a couple of texts. Pony. Bonjour, Pony. Hope you're doing well, son. He writes, Is this French sports radio? Quit brown-nosing everyone else and talk about our teams and sports. Okay. As I did mention earlier in the show, uh, Louis, we haven't even talked about France, South Africa. Like, how big a game that is. Then we decided, funnily enough, to speak to a guy in France about what's happening in France. Um, it's kind of a big deal, that game, isn't it? Might have to discuss it a little bit later uh, this week. Thank you, Pony. All in jest. <laughs> Good humour. I love the passion. Irish John. New Zealand, Ireland and France playing attacking rugby that deserve to win the World Cup. 
then in capital letters. Strange coming from a man named Irish John. England cannot be allowed to win this World Cup in the rubbish style. They cannot be allowed. World Rugby must stop England somehow. Uh, thank you, Irish John. Uh, that pleases me no end. Uh, keep your uh, messages rolling and we'll get to those uh, throughout the duration of the last hour of the show. We're going to talk to uh, GP after the news. I love McKay. And McKay, rather, will join us. Uh, news on the way at 11. SCNZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is the Kiwis who excel in the light breeze on Lake Michigan, and they will take the win. Season number four off to a great start for the Kiwis. They win the Rolex United States Sail Grand Prix. This is SENZ and Mornings with N Smith. No, N Smith. My name is Daniel McCarty holding down the fort while Smithy is at the Cricket World Cup. We're going to have it offshore and we're going to talk Sail GP right now. And after missing the last Sail GP stop in Toronto following the collapse of their 29-metre wing in Saint-Tropez, our Kiwi sailors are rearing to go this weekend when they hit the waters of the glorious Cadiz. As compensation, the team was awarded six points in Toronto after that uh, quite spectacular collapse, equivalent of an average of fifth place. Yep, an average fifth place finish for the Kiwi boat, which has consistently been at the pointy end of regattas that might have felt a little bit cheap to them. We'll find out in just a moment or two. Uh, so back on the water they go with an extra practice day to work out all the kinks of their new wing sail and hopefully put themselves back in contention for another event win. Liv Mackay is an integral uh, member of the sailing group with us now. She joins us. Liv, thanks so much for dropping by. Uh, I'm sure you're having a terrible time in Kadi at this time of the year, right, Liv? Oh, really suffering, don't I? <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, not complaining. Oh, yet. good stuff. <laughs> well, we'll leap, we'll leap into this. I won't, uh, you know, uh, make you suffer through the full introduction. So, um, Liv, thank you so much for joining us as we'll get the tape rolling now. But, uh, and integral member of the sailing group is with us now here on SCNZ. Uh, we were just having a little laugh off here. How terrible is Cadi this time of year, Liv? You must be really suffering. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can just hear the sarcasm ringing out of you. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, really nice time of year. It's starting to cool down a bit, but still beautiful conditions and, yeah, looking like some good sailing conditions. Obviously, that's the main thing, so looking forward to it. Well, I am sitting in a small windowless building in Petone of Wellington, so that probably um, dictates my mood. Uh, we will uh, move off my mood. No one's really interested in that. Uh, people want to know about you, this event. that This event has a bit of meaning for you and the Women's Pathways, doesn't it? Um, what, marking two years of women in the, in the, 50, in the F50s, rather? Yeah, it's um, a really exciting milestone for the league. It's definitely one to celebrate, and I think always coming back to Kadith and highlighting that is a really important part of showing um, the, the wider sailing and how much that's actually growing for women and professional, particularly professional. So 
yeah, I'm really excited to get into this weekend and the media around it and to, to celebrate that as well as keep pushing the development of it. I think that's really important. We're all extremely grateful for what the league have um, started, but everyone's really eager to keep, keep pushing it ahead. So, yeah, be good. What about your own personal development? How would you describe it in that space of both time, uh, both in the class of boat and in general wherever else you may be competing in sailing, if that makes sense? Yeah, it's been a, um, it's definitely a challenge for everyone in the uh, league, not just the women, to get time in the boats. Obviously, it's a real luxury. So I did get quite a lot at the very beginning with when we have more training days and in the last few months it's definitely been a struggle to get time in in other roles and develop specific to the F50 but also you know with the other opportunities coming with the women's AC and I'm doing a few other circuits it's really developed my sailing in other areas which is really valuable for the 50 so yeah, it's kind of twofold. It feels like I'm getting a lot better and been sailing with the guys in other boats a lot more. Um, but, yeah, time in the F50 has been pretty minimal. And, yeah, hopefully that continues, well, changes. But we'll see um, how that plays out. It sounds like you've got a, a fairly hectic schedule just listening to you there. So how do you go about sort of your year as a sailor? Say, say this year in 2023, how much of your year is accounted for by specific racing and competing. Are you able to pick up gigs or events at short notice, or do you have to be very meticulous and sort of plan longer term? It's definitely a balance. I'd say um, this year particularly has been a lot of travel and racing, but at this stage I've actually have been loving it the more I do. So, yeah, I'd say... uh, it's got to be meticulous in the next year with what that looks like, but it just goes in ebbs and flows. And it's a really cool thing about sailing is that there are so many different avenues to go down. And right now I'm really chasing this particular path of sail GP and the women's AC. And so, yes, it's um, very time consuming, but it's uh, where I want to be. So yeah, it is kind of all in. At Saint-Tropez, a lot happened, and that's a bit of an understatement, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure if you were on the boat at the time in Saint-Tropez when, yeah. when the wing collapsed. It was a pretty wild scene, <laughs> and, and, and it sounded a lot of sort of interest. Um, what was the, the diagnosis and the end of it? I'm not sure if diagnosis is the right word. Um, I'm not sure it had an illness, but yeah. you know what I mean. What, you know, what, what did you identify <laughs> as to why it actually happened? Yeah, so I wasn't actually on the boat for it, but was watching live, and obviously extremely shocking and really glad everyone was okay but the the league is still looking into everything it was a structural failure and fortunately at the time they are able to get all the data off it so they're looking into everything around that and until they have an answer it's there's no use of the 29 meter wing so we we can only use the other smaller sizes and so I don't really have any answers for you as such, but it's uh, been taken yeah, very seriously and I'm sure there will be some answers at some point. Well, that, that is interesting to hear because my initial thought when you started to answer that was like, you must have so much trepidation to get back on the boat if they're still going to use it 
and they haven't told you exactly why. So no, it sounds no, like no, they're, 100% they're taking the not. really <laughs> yeah, No, they're definitely not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd be like, no thanks, the, no the thank you. Priority. Yeah, brilliant. Excellent. So, so they are <laughs> taking it very seriously, which is fantastic. Uh, do you sense that there was or is a bit of frustration amongst the team that the, the six points, um, what, that you weren't compensated with? Yeah. yeah, I think we were definitely disappointed with how it played out. Um, I mean, we fought hard as a team to to not have that result, but you've got to accept it and move on. And I think that's something we've come to experience quite a bit in the last few years is there's been a lot of different challenges, but the, your ability to kind of, well, not embrace it, but, you know, accept it and move on is is a real strength of the team. And so we're just looking forward to the kiddies and the rest of the season, really. And you can really feel the energy of, you know, shift, shifting everything that's happened in um the excitement to go forward. Yep, you can accept it, you can move on, you can still be pissed about it, uh, and, and I'd understand that. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You know yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As someone who sails the boat, how much can you really do on the water if, for example, the new wing doesn't fit like a glove straight away? Um. Well, there's so many people involved in the process, and... Uh, they're actually kind of stepping the wing, they call it, tomorrow night. So they're putting it on the boat. Um, we're not going sailing or anything. They're just kind of trying to iron out all the kinks as such from a, a tech perspective. So hopefully um, it kind of goes seam- seamlessly when we go for a practice sail on Thursday. But we have got an extra day than normal to make sure that, yeah, we can – Right. Not have hopefully anything go wrong in the practice racing and the racing. So, yeah, a lot of it's actually out of our hands as a team because we do have that um, fleet-wide tech team, which is an amazing resource. But, yeah, it kind of comes back to them um, with it. Yeah, so time is of the essence. So when we think about that extra dra- day of training, you know, what would that mean for your team in yeah. general? And is that something that... Um, you could always have more of, I'm assuming. You'd probably want more time. <laughs> I mean, yes, obviously. Um, but there's quite a few factors um, that play into it, mainly uh, the cost of the extra time. And then the league is growing with uh, events. So logistics uh, really limit the number of days we can have on site. We've obviously had three quick events um and which has put a lot of stress on on the tech team and everyone who who builds puts all the boats together and who services everything so it's these other challenges that play out in the background and um, that kind of leads to really limited days um so that it's just how it is right now but right yeah always dying for more practice <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I get that i get that as far as racing competition, can you see any chink in the Aussies' armour? They seem to have been so <laughs> consistent, essentially, from the, the launch of this comp. I mean, you can definitely see it in the rugby. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, I definitely think they're beatable, 100%. And everyone in our team sees that. I, they're obviously a very polished... Um, 
team in some ways and they've got a lot of experience and amazing sailors but at the end of the day it's uh, we 100% believe in ourselves and we've shown that and so we just want to consistently get at the top and I think yeah towards the end of last season we really showed that and then we just haven't kind of got that opportunity yet this season so yeah looking looking for that to change really. 10 out of 10 shade thrown to the Wallabies uh, just out of instant, uh, interest. 10 out of 10. <laughs> give you brilliant stuff. Are there any specifics about the course um, that you'll be looking to make the most of? And what sort of wind and conditions are you expecting? Yeah, Cadiz is actually a really interesting venue. It's uh, predominantly been the waviest venue, and it's kind of got this big rock wall that gives a kind of a backwash of it so it's it's a really tricky venue and it's probably the trickiest we sail in in terms of sea state and so that's a big dynamic and then looking at the forecast it's potentially looking quite light but where it is in the um like in europe and being at the southernmost point of spain it can change super quickly so yeah it could be anything really um, and, yeah, gearing up for that as a team. <laughs> well, love, love chatting and, and learning more about your craft and, and what's going on. In summary, a lot. Uh, I won't keep much more of your time. Uh, we'd like to know, do you have a location sorted to watch the All Blacks Saturday night? <laughs> well, they do this thing in Cadiz where we normally have a adopt a club, like a sailing club, um, but they do a adopt a bar instead in Cadiz for some reason. So probably there but obviously not too many drinks involved um but we'll definitely be watching it as a team and supporting well luckily there's no irish um sale gp team right <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> no, it should be good. that would be a little that would be a little bit unlucky do you, lastly and i promise this is the last one do you get any downtime because that place is incredible i think it's the what oldest continuously inhabited city in Western Europe. You'd know this. It's founded by the Phoenicians. I'm a history buff. There's so much to see and do there. Are you getting any downtime? I actually didn't know that, but um, we do a little bit. It's very much Spanish timing. We start quite late in the day, so it's, um, I could be into that. It's, yeah, do. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> get, get out and enjoy it. Hey, thank you so much. I really do appreciate your time and insights. Keep up the great work. We look look forward to following all the action because there's been plenty of it. No, thank you so much for having me on. Great to chat. SCNZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Call anytime. 0800 150 811. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Time now at 22 minutes after 11 o'clock for the... Sports Desk with Polaris. Polaris special offers are on now at your local Polaris dealer. Over to the Sports Desk, where it must be only New Zealand sports. Surely, Louis Herman won. Yes. Although, we're playing an American team in America, so I don't know if that counts. But the the New Zealand Breakers, yeah, they're in Portland. They've got game day in Portland uh, against the Trailblazers. Very interesting. Um, 3 p.m. New Zealand time. Live updates... 
in the uh, MBL app. So I don't know if that means we, we can't watch the game, which is a bit of a shame, but um, I was hoping it might be on ESPN, but we're pl- taking them on. And good news for the Breakers. So they lost one of their, um, well, I guess, star imports, Justin Ian Jessup, but they managed to replace him straight away with a guy called Anthony Lamb. And if anybody watched Golden State Warriors games in the NBA last year, you'll remember Anthony Lamb. He's kind of got that smallish afro going. Um, he's like a wing player, probably like a three, could play the four. I dare say he will play the four here down here in New Zealand, but he can definitely handle the ball. He can shoot the rock. He's a good player. And he was playing on the Golden State Warriors last year and playing real rotation minutes from Steve Kerr. So if he's good enough for Steve Kerr, I'm going to go on a limb and say yeah. he's good enough for us. Yeah, 20 minutes uh, per game in the NBA, or just a tick under. That's, you know, significant time, isn't it, Louis? Absolutely. Like, he was, and especially on uh, the Golden State Warriors, who notoriously have a very short rotation um, because they've got a high basketball IQ and, um, <laughs> I guess... They don't, they don't really waste their time with guys that can't play. So this is fantastic. He does have a clause that if he gets back into the NBA, he can leave his contract. So, look, for him, that'd be great. But for us, we want him to play as much as possible. Now, to the Cricket World Cup we go. Wowee, this tournament has come to life. But I have to read this text because it came in early doors. It's Patrick and Ashburn. This Cricket World Cup, despite some great cricket on the field, I totally agree, has some of the worst deadpan atmosphere I've ever seen in a sports event. Indians will sell out the 130,000-seat stadium in Ahmedabad if their own team is involved, whether it be IPL or national team. If it's anyone else, there's a no-show for the locals. Now, there's been so much conjecture about whether this is uh, the availability of tickets, whether this is um, heat, whether this is time of games. Of course, some of them are on weekdays. But, look, we had a a FIFA Women's World Cup here in New Zealand in the dead of winter, and we're still getting people to stadiums in Hamilton and Wellington. So I I struggle to believe that there isn't more to this because, as he points out, don't take Cricket World Cup tournaments back there. A billion people in a supposed cricket-loving country. What a joke. Well, no... That it is. It's not a supposed. It is a cricket-loving country. It's a religion. Ask anyone that's ever toured there. Ask any player that's ever played there. There has to be more to this why these stadiums aren't filled. I just don't simply believe that it's because there is an interest. It cannot be true, Daniel. No, this is what we spoke about with Garth Galloway a couple of days ago. It is the elephant in the room. And it is hard but here in New Zealand, Louis, to, to really get an understanding of how this tournament works, uh, how it's working, how it's connected. Um, it might be an absolute cluster. You know what? as far as uh, from an organisational uh, aspect. Um, and if it continues on like this, um, the, the authorities need to answer. and They need to explain to us, because it's not a good look. But yet they'll probably defer, hey, our television numbers are through the roof, and that's all that matters. So, um, yeah, I'll be very interested to see how this uh, progresses as the tournament what? does. It'd just be nice to know why. I think that would kind of put a lot of the, the conjecture to bed. On the on the park, though, uh, two fantastic games last night where we had three scores well into the 300s. Um, England and, and David Milan, who just is... Wow. Well, he's aging like a fine wine. He How has he only a... played 22 <laughs> one-day internationals? How has this guy only played 22 one-day internationals? It's a good question. <laughs> The run machine. 
Sorry, I can't off carry on, mate. No, no, just, no, 140 off 107. Like, and he, he's pretty much his his uh, ODI average is something staggering. Um, they they 60. put a massive score, 60. Yeah, Joe Root, Joe Root put 82 up. So he's in terrible nick, as everyone was suggesting before the tournament. Poor Bangladesh, they had no hope. 227 all out in response. Now the the other game, which is just a dead set. If you want to watch some highlights today, put this on and try not to yeah. be entertained. Um, Sri Lanka setting Pakistan 345 to win. Um, that, that Sri Lanka, who, as you, you pointed out, one of the great rocks and diamonds player, Kusal Mendes, who's just a can-go ballistic um, in, in the right settings. Um, 122 from 77. Uh, so they put up a massive score. Yeah, yeah. And then Pakistan. Baba Azam goes out for 10, and Pakistan chase it down with... The better part of two overs remaining. So, sure. Thanks to Muhammad Rizwan, who's a very entertaining cricketer, isn't he? Yeah, oh, I can't remember who put this out. It was a great shout. I, w- I wish I could name check them. It was just part of the tournament saying, get on Muhammad Rizwan for leading run score at this tournament. His odds are a joke. Whoa. Uh, as far as how much they, they were, I- I'm going to try and dig those out um, and give those to you before we depart. But he- he's a really good player. And that was that's some run chase. That is some <sighs> run chase. Stagger, staggering, really. Uh, there was another text here from Sean. Pace bowlers have heard my criticism and up their game last night. Uh, Ashwin and Jadeja <laughs> take take four four wickets each tonight, says Sean. Yeah, well, that's right. So India, Afghanistan uh, tonight. And um, it's just fantastic to have cricket to watch every night. And the, the good news was that uh, England-Bangladesh game last night, it started at 6 o'clock, so a bit more palatable around dinner time. He's still paying 13 bucks for his one. Is that your official tip? Well, he's already got 200 runs at this tournament, hasn't he? Has he got 60 well, on the first game? Yes, he's got 131 not out and got 68. So he's already got 199 runs. So I don't think it's a terrible shout. Puts him here to Conway, doesn't it? Conway, by the way, is, um, uh, is your, is your um, leader at $7. And some guy, David Milan... They've only just figured out complaining about one day Russia? Is number fifteen. Hard score runs when you're not playing. Wow! 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 Do you know? Do you know? Can, can I be honest? Oh, I like yeah, this, is, this is this is peak. This is peak like psychotic, right? I've got a group chat with my dad and my uncle, two massive cricket fans, and. They're starting to wonder whether Kane Williams <laughs> should be back in the side. They're oh like, no! Can we call them? Can we call them? Like, can we, can we try like, and explain? They've gone full psychotic. Like they've gone full like no, but we don't want them to like disrupt the flow. Like everyone's scoring at such a good clip. Like that everyone's got to read on the pitches. Like are we sure? It's like yes, we're sure, man. But I can like like what a crazy time to be alive and to be a New Zealand cricket fan. Where you're like, yeah, but are we sure? Sure. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, someone right, Sri Lanka and uh, Pakistan had a good turnout. I heard tickets are really expensive and the fans are probably going to pick and choose the games. Um, plus, we can't really compare a two-hour sport to eight hours. I hear you, Chris. I hear you. Um, it, and that's my biggest fear, is always for these tournaments that they, and I mentioned this to Garth, that they're out of touch, ticket prices. You hope they're not out of touch with what the market can afford there. Because there's so many good games. Um, and here's some ammunition for your father and uncle. Um, 
So you're telling me you're going to drop a guy who's averaged 43 in one-day international cricket this year um, with a strike rate of uh, 84, uh, has performed in Pakistan incredibly well, uh, which is a very difficult place to play one-day international cricket at the moment, is New Zealand's second-leading run scorer in one-day internationals in uh, 2023, and uh, has a very, very, very solid uh, career record of averaging 42 at a strike rate of 86. Are you going to drop him? Are they going to drop Will Young? I don't know. I mean, they don't want to. I don't know. This is great. Can we, play, can we play 12 players? Like, I just, <laughs> what are we going to do? This is great. What a great position for New Zealand to be in. It's this confusing. is what you want. We almost need to play Survivor. What we used to do. It's emotion. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Flashbacks. Very good. Flashback. All right. That's 20, enough from the sports desk. Okay, get a free roof, windscreen, rear panel, wiper kit, and tow hitch valued at $5,000 on a Polaris Ranger 1000. I know better than to throw to the news right now, Brian. It's time to tease the listeners that it's almost time for Stump by Smithy. 0800-150-811, chance for you to win, of course. Go on, give us a call. Put your sporting knowledge to the test, and you could be a winner. Um, Stump by Smithy coming up shortly, uh, but right now, here are the headlines. He is top class at his job. Yes, yeah, Smithy's great. Not sure about this bloke. All right, it is 27 minutes away from 12 o'clock. It is time for Stump by Smithy, and it's time for the Quizmaster Louis Herman Watt to tell us what we're playing for. We're playing for an I Wish I Win hat, and although he's drawn barrier one, he's uh, equal favourite, oh. rightly so, in this market. He can win, and uh, you want to wear a hat. Because you want to wear a winner's hat, because we like winners around here. And um, James in Auckland, notorious winner. What's your career? What's your career record, James? Just in life, eighty-two and zero. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, champion. Yeah, just you just, just gave off winning vibes. All right. So you've got NBL <laughs> basketball, MLB baseball, or cricket, James. Those are your three options. Let's go with uh, NBL. Okay. Which season, years, did the Breakers last win the Australian National Basketball League? 2015. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. <laughs> Bang. I'm applauding uh, you because I would have got that wrong. <laughs> it kept, Good on you, was James. That, yeah, no, well, I thought I was going to get it wrong, too. <laughs> um, Akine, Akine Ibekwe, uh Andrew Mulligan, I feel like that was that. He just screamed Ibekwe. Fantastic. What a, what a moment for the Breakers. Uh, who is, speaking of the Breakers, who is leading the points per game for the Breakers through the first couple of rounds of the NBL? Do you know, James? Um, the Webster? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. So for the breakers, who's the leading point scorer for the breakers? Yeah. It's the, the, it's the little point guard with the, the, the hyphen name, right, Louie? That I can't remember. Well, I, I don't I know why you're asking thinking, me. Like... I, I, I can't stop thinking of Shy Gildress... Alexander, who I know is in the NBA and really good. Someone Cartwright. Cartwright. It's Cartwright something. You're not going to accept that. And that's fair enough. 
that would have been my answer. In fact, I'm not even sure it's right. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Well done you, James. He's, kind, well done you. he's kind of got like a he's got like three last names. Parker, Jackson, Cartwright. Yeah! <laughs> Sarah <laughs> Jessica Parker! <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Um, you could kind of mix any of those. You could do, like, say his name in any three formations, couldn't you? Cartwright, Jackson, Parker? Or Jackson, Parker, Cartwright? Or <laughs> you, could, you could just keep going and going. But we won't. Right, James, here's the money shot. The Breakers are one and one so far this season. <laughs> Which team did they just lose to in round two? Uh, let's go with the Jack Jumpers. One of the worst things I have oh, ever seen. Oh no, done on James! <laughs> James! Mate, all, James! Of those, all of those options, I have no idea. <laughs> James! It's the bullets, isn't it? Bang, bang. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, yeah. right in the slot, right, and away it goes. That's alright. Oh. Um, Breaking my little heart, mate. You dominated the first couple. I thought you were home. So did I. That's the can, we give him a, can we give him a hat? Well, you yeah. have a hundred of them, mate. You can do whatever you want, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. it wouldn't be a winner's yeah. hat anymore. It'd be a loser's hat. I wish I, I wish I lose. <laughs> you can take your hat, stick it with the sun don't shine, Louis. It's a loser's hat. He doesn't want. He's it. eighty-two hey, and James. one. Eighty-two yeah. and one today. Eighty-two <laughs> and one today, boys. <laughs> hey, what are you watching this weekend, mate? What's what's top of your billing in this amazing sporting week that we have? I'll be watching the uh, Tour Samoa take on Australia. Nice. Uh, the All Blacks Island and the Cook Islands, Papua New Guinea on Sunday, 6 o'clock. And then I'll be at work Monday, so I'll hear about the rest of the quarterfinals. <laughs> James, enjoy it, my man. Commiserations, you didn't quite get over the line today, but go enjoy what is a great weekend. You've got a heck of a, a, heck of a Sunday watching some great sport. Appreciate your time. Thank you. You are the winner today. <laughs> <laughs> James, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. It is uh, 22 minutes away from 12 o'clock. That was good fun. That was good fun. Oh, I feel for him. He got the really tough one, didn't he? Yeah. yeah that, that's yeah. when you, you, you talk back to me. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yes, you've already, yeah, you've already, yeah, yeah. You've completely no. switched off. I just, um, I just got some breaking news. I was just checking it. It's not embargoed. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's actually very interesting. Is, is it embargoed? Look, it's always the, it's always the gauntlet you run when you you get a press release straight to your emails, and you're kind of like trying to. You, I assume that'd make it more obvious if it wasn't. Look, we'll run we'll run it. Um, sorry, BV, if this was embargoed, I'm pretty sure it isn't. And Lee Longo's to lead the new look uh, Phoenix Women's Phoenix, so they'll just announce awesome. the new captain for the season. She's a champion, good, good Cantabrian, absolutely. Uh, great to see her back playing. Of course, at the the FIFA Women's World Cup, she had that incredible race back from an ACL injury. You know, it's, it's quite a theme, isn't it? You know, people sprinting back from uh, ACL injuries. <laughs> true. made it to the World Cup. Uh, what, see, Khaleesi, Kane Williamson, Annalie Longo. I had a really bad moment with her in the Sky commentary box because um, I completely forgotten she had a knee injury. And one of the Phoenix women's players went down, and she's co-commentator alongside me. And um, 
I think it might have been Betsy Hassel or something. And I went, oh, imagine suffering a knee injury and being ruled out of your home World Cup. Wouldn't that be horrendous? Oh. Anna Lee. <laughs> she just looked at me and started stretching her knee. And I immediately bloke. went, oh, my God, she's got a knee injury, hasn't she? And uh, immediately half-time, as soon as the head's See, Brian, off, I like, I, Brian, I do you remember so a couple sorry. of weeks ago, do you remember last week, Brian, when I said, just wait, wait, McCarty will show his true personality. You, you'll, you'll, don't, just hold up on the, all the niceties and plaudits. He'll show himself. He'll out himself. That's the sort of guy we're working with here. That's the sort of mean spirit. It's a minded fool. <laughs> it wasn't deliberately cruel. It was just, I had no bleeping idea because I was ill-prepared. Show my true character, I guess, Louis. You were right. It's 20 minutes away from 12 o'clock. Uh, thank you for those who attempted to play Stump by Smithy. We will take a break. Uh, we've got some real roundup time with uh, Andy Thompson, who no doubt will be very keen to find out what's happening at the Cricket World Cup because he was, uh, you know, waxing lyrical about his dream holiday in a few weeks. I hope it goes well for him, but we will talk rural issues after this with uh, Andy. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 14 minutes away from 12 o'clock, time for our Rural Roundup preview with the one, the only, Mr Andy Thompson. The Rural Roundup with Andy runs from 12 to 1 Wednesdays on all frequencies except Auckland and Wellington. Listeners in those areas can still listen to Afternoons with Staffy via the app. All right, Mr Thompson, you are a paying customer of the Cricket World Cup and I'm fascinated to ask you about your experience. We have seen the disappointing crowds. There's been some sort of stories of... um, uh, some challenging sort of logistics from the, the organisers. How's your experience as a paying customer about to head off on a trip of a lifetime? What's it been like for you, Andy? Bloody awful, mate, to be fair, to be true. Like, we've decided we're going to go on this trip months ago. We had to wait until, like, a month before to even start to book our flights because there was no itinerary, first and foremost. It took them forever to actually put out an itinerary. So we didn't know when we could go, when the games would be. So in the end, we ended up blocking a period of time um, for two weeks. We leave on the 29th, we're back on the 12th and book flights, and then we had to adjust our internal travel depending on where the game were so we've got two New Zealand games uh, New Zealand versus uh, New Zealand um, South Africa and Pune then we've got two Australian games Australia England and Medabad back to Mumbai for Australia versus Afghanistan and then down to Bangalore for New Zealand Sri Lanka so that's how we did it Um, my mate Adam who got the tickets he spent uh, all night one night till 4am booking tickets it was a miracle that he actually got them and we just assumed that every single game was sold out shock horror the tournament starts the, t- the stadiums are a quarter, half full, if that. And if you want to go and buy a ticket for a half full stadium, it will show it's sold out. So no one can understand what the BCCI are doing or the ICC are doing with these cricket um, um, tickets. It's just a complete and utter shambles. And on top of that, once we get to India, we've got like a paper version of our ticket, but apparently we have to go and show that at some hotel to be given our proper ticket. We're terrified the fact that it might just, they might be fake. We just don't know whether we're going to get there and have our tickets or what it's going to be like. So, yeah, you might get a phone call. Might have to nice. go figure out. It's, it's, it's an absolute nightmare. I mean, we're going to go and we're going to enjoy it and I'm sure we'll get to the games. And, yes, we think we have legitimate tickets, but who knows? Who absolutely knows? 
Well, well I hope you're, you're in a, a select group who's you know, gone through something like this. And I, I tell you what, I hope New Zealand cricket um, are aware of scenarios like yours and other fans and that they can maybe help if any way or at least direct you in the, in the right path. Um, that, that's, that's really worrying to hear that, Andy. And I know this, this means so much to you and your mates. You've been looking forward to this for such a long time. Oh, look, we're, we're, as you quite rightly said, um, Daniel, this is a trip of a lifetime. We just can't wait for our two weeks in India and go to these games and soak up all the atmosphere and everything that's around it. But it is pretty worrying. Like, you should just have your, your, your ticket on your phone, which is legit. We went through the proper, you know, wander in, get, scan it, job done, you know, and, and get into the game. We're, we're pretty certain, well... It's going to happen. I mean, don't get me wrong. I won't hesitate to pull a lever if I have to get to New Zealand cricket uh, to get myself into the grounds if I've gone all the way there. And I'm sure they will be helpful, you know. But but still, it is it is a concern. And, and I just am flabbergasted by watching these games and seeing these stadiums and the home of cricket, the World Cup. You know, they're only a quarter half full. You just can't comprehend it. How the BCCI or the ICC can allow this to happen. And I guess the biggest thing was right from the start, like no schedule, no schedule until at least a month Yeah, out. that was a big red flag, wasn't it? That was oh. a big red flag. Now now yeah. I think about it, you are right, because uh, I was sort of scratching my head as to when are they going to confirm all of this? Um, yeah. And it was very late in the piece. Don't worry, Andy, I've, I've raided Grant Elliott's rum and Q-stock. I've got some rib rocker pork uh, meat rub here, um, and, and I'll send it your way. Uh, for only New Zealand Good pork, man. though, right, Andy? Only New Zealand pork, right? Absolutely. Well, it better only be New Zealand pork because um, African swine fever is marching through Europe. And uh, I'm talking to Brent Kleist today, who's the CEO of New Zealand Pork Board. They're calling on MPI and the government to actually stop imports of pork from outside of um, these, or from countries that are infected by African swine fever. Um, apparently the issue is obviously that it can come in. It doesn't affect humans, but it is absolutely lethal uh, to pigs. And if it got into our feral population of pigs, it would decimate. Now, it would decimate um, the pig population in New Zealand, and certainly get right through the whole, um, the whole situation. And we know that um, we're importing a lot of pork. If they stop that, I don't know what that'll do to pork prices because pork is one of the lowest um, cost uh, of protein in in the country, pork yes. and chicken at the moment. But you know, we can't we can't take this risk. So I'm actually going to talk to Damien O'Connor about it on the show today and then uh, Brent Kleist, the CEO of New Zealand Pork, to, to find out what's going on here. But I'll take your pork rub, absolutely. I love my pork. <laughs> it's, it is good, my friend. Anything else we need to know about as, what, as far as what's coming up? I've got Beaver on the show, Stephen Donald. Um, I'm trying to find out, you know the shirt that he wore in the, uh, in the 2011 Rugby World Cup? Yeah. The one that didn't quite fit him. I'm trying to find out where it is. See if he's still got it. So I'm going to ask him about that on the show. Uh, and then um, yesterday, an absolute tragedy, Dr. Tom Mulholland, who is a well-known mental health and doctor, um, unfortunately um, uh, died. And I'm going to talk to Lance Burdett, who is a very well-known mental health advocate, about this situation. Um, you know, it's it's a really it's an absolute tragedy. So uh, we are going to it's going to be quite a serious conversation this one, and um, but but um, handle it very very carefully. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk to Lance about that on the show. Those conversations need to be had, Andy. Thank you, mate. Go have a great show. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, that is uh, Andy Thompson at uh, the Rural Roundup preview. There, uh, twelve to one. 
Wednesday on all frequencies except Auckland and Wellington. Listeners in those areas can still listen to the great Staffy on afternoons via the app. Speaking of Staffy, I think we're going to head to him after the short break, seven and a half away from 12.